Today from the Global Lane, bomb and burn, Putin's military gains in eastern Ukraine. Can Ukrainian forces turn the tide? Given the weaponry that they are asking for, even half the weaponry that they're asking for, Ukraine will be able to drive Russia out of their country. Open border, now heading to the USA. The dangerous journey north through Panama's Darien Gap. As many as one in seven who go into that jungle don't come out the other side. Corporations pledge to fund employee abortion travel expenses. How about covering costs for those who choose life? So what about the thousands of employees who every year seek to rescue a child from an orphanage? and a God-given approach to prevent mass shootings. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Vladimir Putin is making incremental advances to seize eastern Ukraine. At least 18 people were killed. Scores others were injured last week following an explosion at a shopping mall in the city of Kremanchuk. Ukrainian President Zelensky blamed a Russian missile for the explosion. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said a Russian missile took out a nearby depot which tows U.S. and European ammunition. He said as a result, the nearby vacant mall caught on fire. Russia now controls the entirety of Luhansk province. However, Ukrainian forces remain optimistic they can turn the tide. CBN News contributing correspondent Chuck Holton went to the front lines in the Donbass region. He brings us this report. More than 60 rockets rained down on Ukraine days after the country's petition for EU membership was accepted. Despite the persistent threat of missile attacks, Russia is struggling to meet its military objectives, even with a more modest goal of controlling the important mining and industrial cities in the Donbas region. For the past several weeks, the majority of Russia's combat power has been focused on taking the city of Severodonetsk, 90 miles from the Russian border that was once home to 100,000 people. Ukrainian forces are vastly outmanned, but with the help of American artillery and rockets, the defenders have made the Russians pay dearly for every bit of territory. Russian troops are pursuing a scorched earth strategy, which has left the city in ruins, even though most of those who live in this region are of Russian descent and Russian rockets don't discriminate. This lady behind me, his name is Olga, and her home was destroyed by a very large missile blew up all the houses in this area. It's just a residential district. There's no uh, military targets here or anything. She's a Russian speaker who has a daughter who lives in Russia because she's lived in this house all her life. And she has no plans, no money to be able to go anywhere else. So she's just sort of sifting through the rubble at this point, trying to decide what to do next. I was in the bathroom and don't remember the explosion. Everything just started to collapse. Then I heard my son outside asking if I was alive. The city of Kramatorsk is all but deserted now, even though the Russian army is still more than 10 miles away. But the bombs are slowly getting closer. This building in Kramatorsk was hit with a missile back in April, and you can see it just destroyed the entire building, including this hair salon. Now look at all these signs here behind me. These signs are actually written in Russian. That's because a large percentage of the people that live in Kramatorsk are Russian speakers. But you can imagine if Russia thought that they would get flowers thrown at them when they came into this area, once they bombed this person's hair salon, that person who might have been friendly to the Russian cause before certainly won't be anymore. A lot of people uh, already tired because uh, 
they don't know what to do. They can't plan anything. Uh, a lot of people lost their job. Uh, they don't have money. So they, they, they need something to do uh, to feed their families. Approaching the front lines, the risk of getting caught in an artillery barrage rises greatly. But the soldiers dug in here say their morale is strong, as is their will to fight. But when war came to us, everyone understands we need to destroy them. Because it's not right when uh, your neighbor break down your door, go to your apartment, stealing your things, raping your wife. It's not right. We must to protect it and defend. American long-range artillery is finally starting to make it to the front lines, but Ukrainian troops here say they will need a lot more of it to turn the tide in this war. In the meantime, they're working with what they have and doing their best to make every shot count. Chuck Holton is back from Ukraine. He joins us here in the studio. Chuck, why are some people like Olga in your story there uh, deciding to stay in the region when it's so dangerous? They don't have the money to leave, and they don't have anywhere to go if they did leave. Now, you have to understand, I was down there before the war started and was talking to many of these villagers that live along the what was then called the line of contact between the Donetsk and Luhansk uh, separatist areas and Ukraine. And many of these people told me they had never gone more than 25 kilometers from their home in their entire lives. That woman that you, you mentioned, Olga, had lived in that house for 68 years. To live a place you've been for more than six decades and have to just go somewhere else is almost unthinkable to them. They have nowhere to go. They, right. And they don't have anywhere to go. They don't know anybody anywhere else, and they don't know where, where they would go. So they just figure they'll stay and make the best of whatever comes. Now, why is Putin so adamant about eastern Ukraine? What, what do they have that he wants? I believe... The reason that he wants that region so badly is because since 2013, they have found more than 39 trillion cubic feet of natural gas in eastern Ukraine. And that natural gas could put a big dent in the revenues of the Russian state. The Russian government gets more than 40% of its income from oil and natural gas that it sells to Europe. So if Ukraine was able to develop that area and get the, the gas and sell it to Europe, it would be very costly for Russia and maybe even a death blow for the Russian government. And maybe lower the price of oil and natural <laughs> gas, right? Which and they don't want to right? see, I'm sure. Uh, we have, our U.S. Congress uh, passed uh, over a month ago legislation uh, granting $40 billion in aid to Ukraine, and Biden signed that. It's been well over a month, maybe five weeks now. Mm -hmm. They're still not getting the weaponry that they need. Why is that? If you read the text of that bill, most of that is not going to Ukraine. It's a, what they call a Christmas tree bill. Everybody hangs what they want on it. And $21 billion of that aid is not slated to be released to Ukraine until future fiscal years, all the way to 2031. Of the $19 billion that is slated for rapid release, uh, $9 billion of it is going to the Pentagon to help them buy weapons that to, that in order to replace the weapons they've already given to Ukraine. So it doesn't give any more to Ukraine than they've had before. Four billion of it goes to pay for U.S. troops in Poland. Um, they, and there's four, four billion of it that is uh, a future 
uh, loan guarantees for Ukraine to buy new weaponry from the United States that wouldn't get to Ukraine for a matter of years. And so it, it seems to me, it, when you read the text of this bill, that it was designed to look like we're supporting Ukraine without actually giving them a whole lot of what they actually need, which is, is ammunition. Okay, finally, finally on Ukraine. Uh, you've been reporting there for a long time, even before the war started. How likely is it that the Ukrainians in eastern Ukraine uh, can defeat the Russians and kick them out of that area? I think given the weaponry that they are asking for, even half the weaponry that they're asking for, Ukraine will be able to drive Russia out of their country. Okay, it looks like a long road ahead. This will not happen overnight. Sure. Uh, you'll keep us posted, I'm sure, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you're going to be back. Uh, Chuck, we appreciate it. Stay right where you are because we have another hot topic coming up. We're going to look at tens of thousands of migrants who are heading to the U.S. through Panama's Darien Gap. We'll discuss that with Chuck Holton when we come back. Up to 1,000 migrants per day are making their way to the USA through the Darien Gap. That's a 100-mile jungle region between Colombia and Panama. CBN News contributing correspondent Chuck Holton has brought us stories from that region uh, over recent months, even last year and before. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Chuck, bring us up to date. What's the latest? Uh, this is a, a trickle that's turning into a flood. The people who are coming through the Darien Gap are mostly what you would call extracontinental migrants. These are people that are not from the Western Hemisphere. These are people from Bangladesh, from Afghanistan, from Syria, from Russia, from uh, all over the, the Middle East, uh, and from many, many countries in Africa who are coming over to the Western Hemisphere, they fly into Ecuador or Brazil because it's easier to get in that way. And then they take buses up through Colombia and then walk across that Darien Gap. And as many and you've as... you've been there, that's a dangerous walk, isn't it? It's one of the most forbidding and uh, very extreme topography. One of the worst places on the planet, uh, just from a natural, uh, natural danger standpoint. Uh, and I would say as many as one in seven who go into that jungle don't come out the other side. Why do they risk that, Chuck? What, what are they really, what are they really looking for? What they're looking for is a, is, is a more money. By the time they get there, the only excuse they have for continuing to, to go through the gap and go up to the United States is for economic reasons. Because they could go to Chile. They could go to, I went earlier this year to Bolivia and Peru and places like that. And they can make a nice life there. But instead of going south, they go north and go up through that jungle. And many of them bring their children. I'm talking about small toddlers through that jungle. And many of those never make it out the other side. Boy, that's heartbreaking. It is. So you've been to the southern border as well in the U.S. What are the border agents telling you about the crisis there? Well, the border agents are not allowed to say anything these days. So one of the big differences that you notice between the Trump era and the Biden era is that during the Trump era, you could go down there and the Border Patrol agents would welcome you. They'd let you ride with them. They'd sure. stand there and talk to you and they'd tell you everything about what was happening. Today, when you go out there, you're the enemy. The press, the free press is the enemy. Uh, and it's not the Border Patrol agent's fault. It's that if they say anything to you, they will lose their jobs. And, and if they're doing paperwork, they're not on the border patrolling and keeping people out, right? Right. And the, there are far more getaways than there ever have been before. Some are, some people are saying up, up to 40% uh, of the people who cross the border illegally never encounter a Border Patrol agent. They just keep right on trucking. Into the that United must States. be frustrating for those Border Patrol agents. I don't know how any of them would continue to do that job. 
about, to tell you the truth. Well, I'm sure a lot have left, haven't they? Yeah, a lot of them have, and um, you know, a lot of them have been killed or died from COVID and other diseases that they pick up from the migrants that are coming across. So it is a very dangerous job. It's a very thankless job, and they feel like they're having to work with both hands and both feet handcuffed uh, at this point. Uh, and I remember them telling us if they would ever just take the handcuffs off and let us do our job, we could secure the border. And they proved it during the Trump administration. Well, I was going to say, Trump allowed them to do that. Right. And they were very happy at that time, the first time they'd ever endorsed, yep. I guess, a presidential candidate. Uh, let's look at visas now. I understand that there's a relaxation of visa requirements. So tourist visas, people coming into the U.S., tell us about right. that. It used to be after 9-11, it was very difficult to get a tourist visa into the United States. You had to basically be able to prove to them that you had a very compelling reason to return to your country and not overstay your visa in the United States. Well, now they say that visa overstays are up over 500% since the Trump administration. And uh, yet... Even though those Trump the, those those visa overstays are up so much, uh, I'm being told from credible sources around the world that uh, they are handing out tourist visas to anybody who wants one for any reason. And uh, it used to take literally two years to get a an interview to try to get a tourist visa. Now you sh literally show up and they just hand them out, uh, ask you very few questions. And I've for a long period of time too. Right? Ten year visas. And that allows you to stay six months at a time legally in the United States. Uh, but again, the visa overstays are off the chart. Okay, a little vetting. What about security then? The national security of the United States of America with perhaps Chinese agents, uh, gang members, uh, terrorists, uh, Russian agents, knows, Iranian yeah. agents coming in, spies. That's right. That's right. There's there's virtually none of that happening. Uh, I was told by two people who got their, their visas, one from Belize and one from Armenia, that when they walked in to get their, to their uh, interview done, uh, that they simply asked them, why do you want to go to the United States? And they said, well, we want to go and visit our friends and, and go shopping and, and take a vacation. And they said, okay, here's a 10-year visa. Uh, so they have not only thrown open the floodgates for illegal aliens along the southern border, but they've made it far, far easier for legal people to come legally and then overstay illegally and, and get in that way. And maybe uh, easier for nefarious people, people, terrorists and others, to get into the it, U.S. It almost seems like it's intentional. Okay, Chuck Holden, we appreciate your work uh, around the world, not only in uh, Ukraine, of course, very dangerous there, but also dangerous in the Darien Gap when you go there and other places. Mm -hmm. Keep up the good work. Thank you for your hard work and your reporting. We appreciate you. you. In the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe versus Wade, a growing number of companies are pledging to pay for employee travel costs if they want an abortion and they're forced to get one in another state. More than half of U.S. states are expected to ban or limit abortions. So what about covering the costs for parents who choose life? A Texas-based insurance company has told its employees that it intends to provide maternity and paternity paid leave. Buffer Insurance says it will also help cover medical costs for childbirth or costs of adopting children. Might this be a new trend? Well, joining us with more is Brandon Harvath, Christian Care Ministry. Brandon, uh, so what do you think about this plan that Buffer Insurance is putting out there for its workers? Yeah, so Gary, I think that's it's great. And Dobbs by far is the most exciting case, certainly of our lifetime, of my lifetime. 
Uh, you know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade has really been the prayer of many Christians, uh, many Americans for over 50 years. You know, the bottom line is that SCOTUS, though, isn't our only option for advancing a culture of life like you see here in this example. Uh, MediShare is an example uh, in, in business now for just about 30 years. I have the privilege of serving as chief operating officer. We're a pro-life organization. We've been since our inception uh, nearly 30 years ago, but members don't have to stop at just saying they're pro-life. We can do exactly what you see in this example and help support and fund things like the expenses of adoption for our members. Well, I'm sure this would be extremely expensive for many employers uh, to help cover birth or adoption costs. Do you, do you think this may become common or only just a few pro-life companies here that will be doing it? Yeah, it could be. It's hard hard to tell. But, uh, Gary, I've had the opportunity to uh, be on both sides. I've had the privilege of serving as the president of a hospital system and was an insurance executive for a number of years prior to that. And you know what? These are, uh, frankly, the same employers who for years have been uh, in bed with commercial insurance companies looking to find ways to, uh, you know, push employees to the lowest cost healthcare schemes available. And this, uh, you know, frankly, in many cases for employees, uh, employers now who are flying employees around the country for abortion, this is just hypocrisy and in some cases for political points only. And what we're really dealing with and what your listeners need to know is good versus evil. And at the end of the day, abortion is bad all of the time. So what about the thousands of employees who every year seek to rescue a child from an orphanage? How about, how about those costs, right? Well, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, maybe how about someone wants to adopt, they fly to Peru or Guatemala or someplace like that. Uh, will they get reimbursed? How likely is it then that this will put pressure on those same big companies that are paying abortion travel costs to also help those who choose life, birth or adoption? Well, and, and Gary, more importantly, here is how, as Christians, uh, we can push into this issue more directly. Consumers, Christians in particular, on issues like life, need to vote with their dollars now more than ever before. And frankly, if ever there was a time to carefully think about where you buy goods, where you work, where you seek health care, uh, now is the time. And for all of the employers out there uh, who insist on investing in abortion, well, now's the time to stand tall as Christians and make sure that every dollar we spend goes to support life. Brandon, you're involved in MediShare, and before that, you mentioned Cigna. Uh, how do you see insurance companies handling this? Because most already cover hospitals and doctors' costs uh, related to pregnancy and birth. What role can they play in promoting life rather than abortion? Well, it's, it's a great question, and organizations uh, like commercial health insurance companies, we don't expect much out of, frankly, right? Uh, they're in the world and like the world. Unlike insurance organizations like MediShare, we're based on biblical uh, standards, uh, biblical values like stewardship and responsibility, uh, and lifestyle agreements that uh, live up to or adhere to biblical or Christian values uh, of faith. And, you know, the MediShare program, as an example, is a cost-sharing model. It's nothing like insurance. It's really a way for members to share agreed upon medical expenses with each other that still align with their religious values. So my answer to that would be, uh, let's not wait on the world, right, to change and do something different. Employees really should be thinking about just simply leaving those so-called employer-sponsored health insurance plans now, you know, if it wasn't obvious before, and look for alternatives in Christian-based healthcare, uh, and in particular sharing plans, you know, like MediShare, where every dollar you spend uh, you can be sure goes to fund things uh, that align with your biblical values. And a big need for support for crisis pregnancy centers and things like that, right? 
Yeah, that's right. And frankly, programs uh, like MediShare that don't go to fund uh, expensive uh, uh, procedures that don't align with biblical values, whether it's uh, abortions or uh, other sex reassignment uh, surgeries, uh, things like that. Uh, part of the reason why MediShare, frankly, is about half the price of commercial health insurance plans. So you can take those dollars you're saving and put it towards life-giving calls, like supporting uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Okay, Brandon Harvath, Christian Care Ministry. Thank you, Brandon, for providing those insights. We appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. Just hours after the tragic Independence Day parade shooting in Illinois, Vice President Kamala Harris renewed the call for a federal assault weapons ban. We need to end this horror. We need to stop this violence. But folks, new laws won't end this death wave that has overtaken America. We can only turn things around by promoting morality and the sanctity of life. Before the Illinois parade killings, top chef celebrity Padma Lakshmi tweeted out her thoughts about Independence Day with the hashtag, not a happy fourth. She posted a meme that read, separate church and state. Yes, we must protect churches from the state, but we must not separate our nation from the morals and belief system upon which it was founded. There'd be fewer mass shootings if we restored godly principles to American classrooms. Let's start by teaching the Ten Commandments, guiding principles to maintain a moral society. Unfortunately, today, many schools prohibit Ten Commandment displays. And then we wonder why kids are getting shot up in inner cities and schools, or innocent spectators are being killed in parades. Do you teach your children or grandchildren these? Restoring civility and morality to America begins by honoring the first two. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said these are the most important. If we embrace and practice these, then everything else will follow, like not stealing or not killing. So let's pray for a national awakening. Tragic killings like the 4th of July Highland Park, Illinois shooting will not end with new gun laws. Only when we turn to God and truly love Him and one another Will our nation be united in peace? Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.